You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Last week I told you if you were here that I, that I wanted to do this, but I couldn't because Jared, our uh, youngest, our son, had, had surgery, and uh, Becky had to be uh, with him. But uh, she's here this week, and the reason I wanted her to uh, come up on stage with me for a minute, because sometimes, especially some of you newer folks, a lot of people come up to me and say, well, you know, I know you're married, <clears throat> but I don't know who your wife is. So this is her, this is she, this is Becky, uh, my wife, and... Uh, And, and the main reason I wanted to come up for, for a minute was kindly in front of you guys to uh, remind her uh, how much I love her and, uh, and, and how much I care for her and how I think she's kind of like a, a shining light in my life. Yes, you know, I, I trust Jesus as my Savior. I understand that. That's what changes my life. But even Christians take wrong steps and wrong directions and wrong paths sometimes. And had it not been for... Uh, Becky, uh, you know, early on we started dating in high school and things like that. Had it not been for that, the influence of her and her uh, family, then I could have, I, I think, and already taken steps in the wrong direction. So uh, I, I want you to know how much I, I value her and, and love her. And uh, I thank God for her and her being the, uh, uh, the mother of our children and uh, putting up with me all these years. And I just want to bring her up here for a minute to do that. So she really deserves a bigger hand than what you gave her a minute ago because she puts up with me. So, uh, we're doing a, a two-month-long series uh, on marriage, real marriage. Uh, matter of fact, it's kind of to help reinforce a small group uh, Bible study. We are launching our, our spring semester of our home teams uh, this evening. Uh, not every home team meets on Sunday evening, but uh, several you know, do, and uh, I'll be leading one here. Um, there are others that will meet in homes. Uh, you can, uh, after the service is over, go out to the connection area where we have the coffee and there's a table set up to where you can sign up to participate in a home team. Um, on Sunday nights, we have a children's ministry also, so in case you have some young children and wonder what you would do with them uh, while you're participating in the home team, we have a ministry upstairs for them that they can uh, be involved with. But uh, we'll start tonight here at 6, also in some homes at 6. Uh, we have uh, a small group that's also meeting on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, we have one on Mondays that's for young uh, single adults, uh, also that Brent and Monica Reed are doing in their home. Um, a lot of us don't qualify for that. I tried to sign up, and I don't think Monica will let me come uh, because I'm beyond that age and uh, not single. But uh, anyway, uh, that's something new that they are offering uh, for uh, single uh, young adults, so please uh, think about that. Uh, we also have one that meets on uh, Tuesday night and one <coughs> that meets on Wednesday night. So uh, take time and look out there at those sign-up sheets uh, before you leave, and want to really encourage you to participate in a uh, home team <coughs> because the topics we're looking at, you kind of have to listen to me, uh, but on the small group study, you get a chance to give input, to share each other's uh, burdens and pray for each other and needful things like that. So I hope you'll go out there and, and, uh, and sign up afterwards and help participate in a small group. Uh, our topic today is, is this. We're going to talk about friends with benefits. I realize that almost sounds like fringe benefits, but that's not what we're talking about, although people look for fringe benefits a lot in life. 
uh, although you might could apply it to marriage because by being a friend with your spouse, there are some kind of friends benefits that, uh, that come with that. Before we kind of get into the message itself, I wanted to start out just by telling you a little bit of a, of a story about a uh, marriage that took place years and years ago in a time when marriages were a lot of times just looked at as kind of convenience or for other reasons than just fellowship or friendship or, or that type of relationship. And I kind of let it be an illustration for what we're going to talk about today. How many of you have heard of Martin Luther before? Uh, Martin Luther, of course, uh, started the Reformation and uh, kind of like the you know, founder of the Lutheran Church and, and, and things like that. Well, years ago, uh, Martin Luther was a, a monk. And what we're actually talking about is, is he and the, and the lady that became uh, his wife eventually, Katharina von Bora. But uh, he, he was a monk to start with. The reason he became a monk, he was out walking one day and a lightning bolt almost got him. And he kind of took that as a sign that God wasn't pleased with his life. So he decided he better change some things, and he decided to uh, uh, go into a, a monastery and become a monk, and uh, started you know, reading the Bible, trying to apply it a lot to his life, kept falling short, feeling really guilty. There were even times in his life that he was kind of physically hurting himself, thinking that by doing so, he was performing some type of penance for his sins uh, to God. And then he continued to you know, read the Bible, study the Bible. One day, he came across a passage in Romans that says this, the just shall live by what? Faith. So he recognized then at that point in time, it's kind of like the Holy Spirit just you know, put a spotlight on his heart, and he realized that his relationship to God was not based upon his performance. It was based upon the finished work of Jesus, what Jesus had done on the cross. So as a result of that, he completely changed his belief system. He even came up with a thesis to where he wrote out you know, several things that he believed, went to a city uh, there in Germany, and he nailed it on kind of like this bulletin board that they had set up, saying what he believed. The people, the church fathers came up and read it, and they decided we're going to hunt him down and arrest him and maybe even kill him because of what he had posted out there about the just living by faith. Also, during that time, as he continued to study the Bible, he realized that all the vows he had taken as a monk were not necessarily biblical because it had been taught to him that the most spiritual type life was one that was chaste, unmarried, you know, not having sex, not having kids, uh, living in poverty, and that type of thing. But as he read the Bible, he came to realize that that really was not the case, that that wasn't true. So he also wrote a book in which he renounced his vows as a monk. And he encouraged other priests and monks and nuns to do the same thing, that they needed to consider uh, marriage because the Bible talked about marriage, that it was okay to actually have kids. And it was okay not necessarily to live in poverty all of your life and things like that. So he, he wrote this book. Well, the book kind of fell into the hands of some nuns in a convent. There were 12 nuns in this particular convent. They got hold of his pamphlet and they start reading it. So they sent a letter to Martin Luther asking him to break them out of the convent. It kind of sounds like breaking them out of prison, you know. So he agrees to do so. And by the way, it was illegal in that day and time. So it was on Easter Sunday 
And you would think the nuns would be getting ready for worship. Instead, what Martin Luther arranged was this. This man comes in like he's delivering food. In with his food delivery on his wagons, he had 12 empty fish barrels. So each nun gets in a fish barrel, and they are smuggled out of the convent. And because they had read what he had written about marriage and everything like that, they decided they're going back to their families. Most of them were young. Uh, All of them found husbands and were married and had children and things like that, except for one nun, and that was Katharina von Bora. He tried to arrange for her to be married. And had it pulled off, he thought, and then the guy backed out the last minute. The reasons that were given was that she wasn't that attractive and she was kind of hard to get along with. (laughs) So she finally comes to Martin Luther and she said, You know that I lost my mother when I was six years old. And then I went and joined this convent. And then at 16, I became a nun. And now I have read your Bible study, and you have broken me out of the convent. So I'm your responsibility. (laughs) So either you find me a husband, or you have to marry me yourself. That was pretty brazen in that day and time. It was quoted that Martin Luther said, good Lord, they're not going to force a wife on me. But then after some time and her continuing on in him, finally he proposed to her. Some of his friends were just all broken hearted. Why in the world are you doing this? The great Martin Luther, why are you being married? And he told them to spite the devil. (laughs) Which might be a theological reason, but not necessarily the best reason to be married. They become husband and wife, kind of out of convenience sake. They weren't friends. They really didn't like each other. He even wrote something that said, we don't really like each other. We don't get along. We're not friends and, and things like that. But I feel like since I got her out of this convent that she's my obligation, so I have to marry her. So they get married. She moves into his bachelor pad that was at a monastery and, you know, really needed a lady's touch. Uh, the hay he was sleeping on had not been changed in a long time. He's kind of a nasty dude. and His diet was really bad and had a lot of health issues. So she comes in kind of like the, the, the original you know, organic type person, plants a garden, starts feeding him, changing his diet, you know, helping him out health-wise and, and everything like that. And then, poof, first thing you know, you know, down the road, all of a sudden she's expecting now, that caused a stir in that day and time because there was an old wives' tale in Germany that the Antichrist was going to be born from a union between a renegade priest and a radical nun. <laughs> so now she's expecting, everybody thinks, here's the mother of Chucky or something like that, you know. <clears throat> they eventually have six kids. They have one that dies. But what started out as just this thing of convenience changed. To where he just looked at her as, as an obligation, somebody that he, that he felt like he had to, to marry. It was awkward to start with because they never really hung around people of the opposite sex a lot. So it was kind of awkward communicating with each other. And she didn't really know how to talk to a man. And he didn't really know how to talk to a woman. And, and she would just ask random things sometimes. Like just out of the blue, you know, trying to start a conversation. She'd ask things like, well, who's the king of Prussia? And he was probably thinking, who have I married? This person that's, you know, crazy about Jeopardy or something like that. And 
She'd just ask questions and ask questions, and he'd respond. But over a period of time, things changed. And what was convenience became friendship. And in some of his letters that he wrote later on in life, she would be right there beside of him, and he would write to people and, and say that Katharina said hi. And in his letters, he would call her Lord Katie, dear Rib. You understand where that comes from? The Empress, my true love, my sweetheart, gracious lady, wise woman. Doctor, your grace, holy lady, dear wife, and gift of God. That's how I view my wife, so that's why it's kind of affecting me right now like that. So what started out as convenience sake, he started out saying we're not really friends, we don't really like each other, I'm not really interested in her, but I kind of need to marry her because I did this jailbreak. Over a period of time, it changed into being one of the most glorious marriages and set an example of friendship in a marriage that did not used to exist. And later on in life, he wrote these words. There is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company than a good marriage. We're going to talk about friends with benefits. Friends with benefits. Simply to start with, you need to recognize that marriage is about friendship. Marriage is about friendship. That's the first blank when they catch up to me right here. Real marriage is about friendship. Not just convenience. It's not just for procreation. It's not just so you can pay the bills and have a house. Real marriage needs to be a friendship. Now, having said that, I'm going to make several points about that. The first one is a theological point, simply because of what the Bible says. And we saw this last week, the same verse. God said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for a man to be alone. Now think about everything that Adam had in that point in time. He had fellowship with God, direct fellowship with God. He had all this great creation that God had put him in. And you know, just a perfect environment and everything like that in that moment in time. And yet God himself, who was having fellowship with Adam, God still said that it's not good for man to be alone. He needed a human companion also. So a theological point that's made in the very beginning of the Bible is that is that marriage is needful. And, and it's not just for procreation, it's, it's, it's for fellowship also. He's talking about loneliness. That, that someone really needs their spouse. They need to have that type of friend. I had Becky up here a moment ago. Um, we've been married for 35 years, be 36 this summer. Um, I think of my wife as my best friend. And I know she thinks of me as her best friend because she says that. And we were out with a couple in our church the other night and she was saying that. And a lot of that for us, you have to recognize Kylie as pastor and her, you know, as my wife. I mean, I mean 
it's, it's hard sometimes. You can't just be everybody's best friend, although I'd love to be, you know. Uh, but I think of her as my best friend. And I, and I really, really need her. We've been together a long time. We started dating to begin with when she was a freshman in high school. <laughs> and I was a sophomore. Then we broke up at one point. It was her mom's fault. I still am mad about her mom about that because she said you need to date other people and things like that. So we broke up for a little while. <clears throat> but then we got back together a year or so later. And then a year or so later after that, we were married. I had two really good friends, Barry Absher and Ronnie Crisp. And used to, if you saw one of us, you'd see all three of us. And, you know, we were like just best friends. And I still see Barry every now and then. I've not seen Ronnie in for years and years. But it was like the Three Stooges. I mean, everywhere one was, you'd expect to see the other two somewhere close behind. But then when we really get serious and dating, that's where I wanted to be. And they would call me sometimes on Friday night even. They said, well, come on, let's go do something. You know, or let, you know, let's go play some cards. Let's do something like that. You know, just come up with and, and I would always say no. And they got mad at me. And, and then the day before we were to get married, they come out to my mom's house and they paint something nasty on the highway out in front of the house, on the road, spray paint it on the highway. My good friends. Now, later on, they figured out when they started dating what was happening and what was going on. But I, I view her as my best friend, and, and I'm just telling you that as an illustration today. That's how you need to view your spouse. It needs to be about friendship. And it's a theological point to prove that. It's not good for a man to be alone. Not just a theological point. Let me make a second point about this, a practical point. As you read, there, there are tons of books out there about marriage. And as you read most of these books about marriage, very little is ever said about friendship. I mean, there, there'll be you know, uh, an exposition of things like Ephesians 5 that we'll talk a lot about in this series and other passages of Scripture that talk about you know, marriage and, and you know, what the husband's supposed to do, what the wife's supposed to do, and, and, and things like that. But there's very little that's just written about being a friend with each other. And, and I recognize, you know, when you, when you take the Bible, there's not necessarily a whole lot of verses that says, you know, husband and wife, thou shalt be friends. But here's the mistake that we make. Everything that's in this Bible that talks about fellowship or friendship or love and how we're to relate to other people and things like that, forgiveness, we're not to somehow segment that off from the marriage relationship. If two Christians can love each other, surely a husband and wife can figure out how to love each other. If two Christians can forgive each other and fellowship with each other and practice submission and things like that, surely the goodness a husband and wife can figure out how to practice those things. You see, it doesn't have to say, husband, you're supposed to be a friend, wife, you're supposed to be a friend. There's enough in the Bible about relationships and friendship and loving each other and forgiving each other and things like that that we need to apply to the marriage also. It, it doesn't give us an out to say, well, it didn't say husband, it didn't say wife. No, if it applies to any other relationship, you ought to think it ought to also apply to the marriage, shouldn't it? There's no out just because it doesn't say it's to the marriage. 
See, it's possible for us to have a great theology of marriage and not have a friendship. It's possible for people to know all the verses about headship, submission, roles, and, and gender, and the Bible, and everything like that, and not have a friendship. But I would submit to you, I think it's impossible to have a great marriage without friendship. Because if you just know all the rules and everything like that, all you're doing is taking the rules and pointing at each other and battering each other sometimes with the Scripture saying, well, you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to do that. And without friendship, it misses the foundation that it needs. So that's just a practical point that, that, that you need to see. John Gottman, he's a sociologist that researches uh, divorce uh, a lot in uh, relationships and marriage. And he can predict divorce with a 90% success rate. Isn't that a scary thing? Somebody can interview you and figure out 90% success rate, you know, that you might get divorced. But also in his studies, he says even though men and women are different, about 70% of men and women say that they desire for their spouse to be their best friend. So while we're different in a lot of ways, there is something very familiar that we all desire just a practical point a beginning point let me make a beginning point real quick about you know this thing of marriage being a friendship friendship really in marriage begins when you're single and here's what i mean by that you need to only date someone who's friends with jesus now, I understand there are probably some people here in this size crowd to where there's someone that's married and, and maybe you got saved after you're married or you married and, you know, someone that's not a Christian. And, and I understand that's where you are, but we need to recognize the Bible tells us that light and darkness doesn't have fellowship together. And that's not talking about race, guys. That's talking about spirituality. So if you want to have a successful marriage, it starts out by you dating somebody that's friends with Jesus. And then it grows from there by becoming friends with that person and then building a relationship on friendship with Jesus and each other. Too, too many relationships and marriages start just because somebody decided to hop in bed with somebody and they didn't even know each other yet. There's not even any friendship, any basis yet for the relationship. So a beginning point in having this type of marriage, this friendship marriage that you ought to have comes in and, and knowing the other person and being sure they know Jesus and you guys knowing more about Jesus together. St. Augustine defines friendship in, in like this and, and applied it to marriage in his, in his book called Confessions, which St. Augustine wrote this years ago. It might not sound like it, but he did. He said, friendship is to make conversation, to share a joke, to perform mutual acts of kindness, to read together well-written books, and he was a theologian, so that's why I said that, you understand that, to share in trifling and in serious matters, to disagree, though without animosity. What do you have to be, what do we have to hold on to and be mad at somebody just because we disagree? Instead of turning loose of it. He says, just as a person debates within himself, have you ever debated in yourself something, whether you ought to do it, whether this is right or wrong, do you get mad at yourself the rest of your life when you disagree in yourself. And in the very rarity of disagreement to find the salt of normal harmony, to teach each other something, or to learn from one another, to long with impatience when absence. In other words, you really want to be with them, to welcome them with gladness on their arrival. Let me talk to you about friendship. God is one God, three persons. 
We call it the Trinity. Another way to look at it is that God is a friend and has friends. God himself is a friend and has friends. And God makes us in his image and likeness for friendship with him and with one another. So in other words, God is this Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in a similar way, we need to have that type of relationship, that type of friendship with one another. God is a friend and has friends. We're made in his image. We need to be friends with each other. In the Song of Solomon, here's the way the bride or the wife puts that, I think, maybe in the Song of Solomon. She is describing her relationship with a bridegroom. And she says, this is my lover and this is my friend. Don't miss the second part of that. See, the, the men, we tend to read the first part of that and we think, yeah, you know. We get married for that. It's, you know, to, to, to be able to have love, to make love. But I want to suggest it just maybe. Our wives view it like this wife viewed it. This is my lover. Yeah, that's part of it. And this is my friend. It's about more than just that, that intimate sexual part of the relationship. There, there needs to be that type of, of relationship, that type of fellowship, that type of, that type of friendship taking place. I'm afraid men, many times, we look for friendship with the guys. And we come home looking for benefits. And we need to recognize that friendship in the marriage, along with that comes benefits. And we need to be friends with, with each other. Let me make an important point real quick, and then we'll move on. We're talking about marriage being a friendship. In Ephesians 5, 25, most of you that read the Bible very much, you've been Christians very long, you're familiar with this verse. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means sacrificially to love them like Jesus loves the church. But another way to translate that could be like this. Husbands, be friends with your wives like Christ is a friend of the church. Does that change the perspective of it? Pretty much. Because a lot of times we just think of love and we'll go to the sex thing and stuff like that when it's really talking about sacrificial love to start with. But, but think about it in those terms. Husbands, be friends with your wives as Christ is friends with the church. See, men hear the word love and they think sex. Women, I think, hear the word love and they think friendship a lot of times. So like I suggested that to you a minute ago, guys, let me suggest you just maybe, maybe your wife hears the word love as friendship. God said it's not good to be alone, and his answer for that was, was marriage. The, the wife looks at her, at her husband being her near and dear friend, and that's the way we need to, to view marriage. So let me ask you, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, a lot of times you'd like to rate stuff and things like that. On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being really good and 1 mean you really need to work on it, how's friendship in your marriage? What would you find out if you were to sit down with your wife and ask, how good of a friend, or with your husband, how good of a friend have I been to you? Because we're going to encourage you all through this series to do some things like that, especially in our small groups. There'll be times for you to have a homework assignment and for you to go home and work on some things. And we need to understand that God wants us to have friendship. The Bible has a lot to say, as I said earlier, about, 
about marriage. But if we're not careful, we'll go and look and say, well, he's supposed to do this or she's supposed to do this. And, and then we'll just be building rules against each other. And if we leave friendship out of the mix, we have really hindered what the relationship of marriage ought to be about. If all we do is use it like a battering ram to go in and say, well, look, this is what's supposed to happen, and that's what's supposed to happen. It might be biblical, but it misses the friendship image of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that our marriages ought to also reflect. See, marriage can be like a holy trinity, so to speak. You've got a husband, you've got a wife, and you have Jesus. And if we'll focus upon the husband... And the wife in Jesus. If the husband will focus upon Jesus, the wife focuses upon Jesus, they focus upon each other. They can grow in friendship together because they have the right perspective to start with in their marriage relationship by focusing upon the fact that it's this holy trinity that God wants to glorify himself through. Can I ask you a question before we move on? How many of you are interested in friendship? You like having friends? Hmm? Some of you would probably say, I, I, I wish my husband or my wife, I wish we were better friends with each other. And sometimes we'll use excuses like, well, yeah, I really want friendship, but you know, that person's not that friendly. I'd love to have friendship with my husband, but he's just not that friendly. I'd love to have friendship with my wife, but she's just not that friendly. As though that's our excuse. Can I suggest something to you? That if you want friendship with your wife or your husband, you start out yourself by being a friend yourself. Look what Proverbs tells us. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. <laughs> Remember what I said earlier? Don't just apply that. To some people you meet out in the world, friends you have out in the world, you apply that to marriage also. If that's true to people out in the world, it ought to be true in our marriage relationship. But people sometimes will say, well, I, you know, I'd like to be friends with somebody, but they're just not very friendly. People come to church sometimes and say, well, people aren't that friendly over there at that church. I'd like to have friends. Well, you know what? Start out by being a friend yourself. I've never really met anybody that's a really friendly person that doesn't have friends. Have you? I've met people that are bitter that don't have friends. People that are judgmental and condemning other people all the time and making excuses all the time that don't have friends. But somebody that really makes an effort to be a friend, most of the time, you know what I find out? They have friends in their life. So don't cop out by saying, I'd love to be a friend with my husband. I'd love to be a friend with my wife, but they're just not that friendly. You initiated yourself by being a friend. We'll finish today by, by kind of taking the word friends and using it as an acronym. And we're going to talk about experiencing friends benefits, not friends benefits, although they come along with it, but about experiencing friends benefits. Let's take the, the word friends and we're just going to kind of use it as an acronym and look at some words I think that can help us in our marriages to have more friendship. F stands for fruitful, for fruitful. See, God told Adam and Eve right there in the beginning. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, I understand being fruitful, that part of it, you know, sounds like he's talking about just, 
you know, a husband and a wife getting together and having that intimate relationship and, and kids being born and, and things like that. So a lot of the guys will look at that verse and say, well, God told us to be fruitful. So, you know, yeah, baby, thank you, God. That's what we're going to do. And that is part of being fruitful. But I think it goes a lot deeper than that. See, a husband and wife can be fruitful by nurturing each other, almost like you nurture a plant, flowers, a garden, a tree, to grow. You can nurture each other and build each other up instead of tearing each other down. That's part of being fruitful. I think a marriage can have the right focus by being fruitful as you strive to be a servant of God, to serve Jesus and serve other people. Because to be honest with you, if all you do is always focus upon your own junk and your own marriage and your own relationship, and you never together try and serve other people and meet needs in other people's lives, then you're going to have a pretty miserable existence because God didn't call us just to be inward focused. He called us to be outward focused. You, you can have a lot better marriage if you'll just be fruitful and serve Jesus together. See, to be honest with you, it's like we're being obedient to God. God told Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful. So as we try and be fruitful in our marriage relationship, it's like a step of obedience. It's like a commitment that we have made because God wants to glorify Himself through our relationships. When God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply... What was eventually going to happen is this. His son's going to die on the cross so people can trust in him and go to heaven. So the more people that there are in this world that are there by God's grace and his mercy to trust in Jesus and comes to heaven glorifies God in a great way because Satan's trying to tear it all down and God's saying, look what I've done through my son. So I think in, in a similar way, God wants to take our marriages and our marriages be be fruitful to where he can be glorified in the marriage relationship. R stands for this. Reciprocal. Reciprocal. It's where you realize you have to work on things together. It's not just a one-sided deal. It's a couple working on friendship. It's a couple working on the relationship. They're, they're, they're doing what they can to make things work. In a marriage, if you have one person that's unfriendly and another person that's unfriendly, you know what you have in that type of marriage, in that type of home? You have a lot of conflict and coldness. If you've got one person that's unfriendly and the other person trying to be friendly, it still doesn't work out good because what you have is selfishness and sadness taking place. But on the other hand, if you have two people who are friendly, you can have love and laughter instead of conflict and coldness and selfishness and sadness. If two people are being friendly and working on the relationship in a reciprocal way with each other, both doing their part to make it work, then the, then the marriage can can be what God would desire for it to be. And we can experience things like love and, and laughter in it. Our last series that we did here at, uh, at Day 3 was called New. Because we were hopping into a new year and things like that. One Sunday I talked about a new commandment. Remember what the new commandment is? This is what Jesus said. This is what he told his disciples. Here's the new commandment in John. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. 
Now, let me apply what I said earlier. We'll read that and say, yes, Jesus told that to his disciples. Jesus told his disciples to love each other because by doing so, they could prove to a lost and dying world that they're authentic. I want to admit to you, that's not just for his disciples. It's for two disciples that are also married. A husband and a wife who are followers of Jesus, who are striving to be disciples of Jesus. They are to love each other also. Do you agree with that? We, we don't need to apply and say, oh, well, that's just having to do with Christians loving each other. Now, that is true, but it also has to do with a Christian husband and a Christian wife loving each other because one another or each other is reciprocal in its nature. The way you're loving the other person and by doing so having the type of friendship that God would have you to have in, in the relationship. I stands for intimacy. Intimacy. Intimacy, the English word for intimacy literally means when you study out the, the, where the word comes from, it literally means this, into me see. Now we, we think of it as just the sexual part. The Bible tells us in Genesis that Adam knew his wife. He, he knew her and then she conceived and had children. So that's one reason we think of it in those terms. And, and it is involved with intimacy that's part of what takes place but it needs to go beyond that and be deeper than that we need as husband and wives to to see into each other wives your husband needs you to to see into him he's got that need in his heart for you to see into him and see what's going on husbands your wives have the need for you in an intimate way to see into their lives to actually spend time with each other to have that level of intimacy with each other. An old proverb says this, friendship doubles the joy and cuts the grief in half. I, I can enjoy something more if I enjoy it with my wife than I can if I enjoy it by myself. And if she's not with me when something happens or I know of something that is a blessing to me that's enjoyable, I can't wait to tell her about it. And in the same way, if I'm going through a tough time, she she can help cut the grief in my life, and I can do it for her. There's really three kinds of marriages that you can have. You can have a back-to-back marriage relationship, or a shoulder-to-shoulder marriage relationship, or a face-to-face marriage relationship. Back-to-back is kind of like where your adversaries. You're not looking at each other, you're not relating, you're not being friendly, you're just back-to-back. Maybe intentionally, she's made me mad, he's made me mad. Or you can have a shoulder-to-shoulder marriage, and I'm afraid that's where a lot of us get trapped in because of the busyness of life, because in a shoulder-to-shoulder marriage, it's like we're co-workers. I mean, we're just having to pull everything off. We're having to pay the bills. Maybe you, you were married when you are in college, and, and your goal is we've got to finish college, and we've got to pay for the student loans. And then we've got to buy a house. We've got to get the house paid for or, or kids come along. So then you've got this goal of, of raising the kids. And you've got Little League and soccer and everything like that taking place in, in the house. And, and before you know it, you're just kind of working shoulder to shoulder beside each other. You're co-workers and, and you're trying to make everything work and trying to pull everything off. Does that sound familiar? But you see, if that's all the marriage is about, what happens when you meet those goals? 
What happens if your goal is to pay off the student loan? What happens when your goal is to get a house and pay off a house? What happens when the goal is that you've raised the kids to little league soccer, high school, college, and everything else, and now you're an empty nester? What happens if that was alone was the goal, and all of a sudden that's gone? You see why you need to be friends? See, the type of marriage that we really need to strive for is a face-to-face marriage to where we're taking time to see into each other. We're taking time to look into each other's eyes. We're taking time to see what's going on in their life, and they're seeing what's going on in your life. To slow things down a little bit, and I understand it's hard. I've been there. I'll tell you what, and Becky will tell you the same thing. We've been caught up a lot of times, I think, in the shoulder-to-shoulder marriage. Every now and then, every couple's have this. Every now and then, we've probably been back-to-back. You ever been back-to-back? Hey, we're not perfect just because I'm a pastor and things like that. I promise you, we had an argument last night about something. But we're not back-to-back over it. But it's easy to get caught up in the shoulder-to-shoulder because you've got these goals and things and junk you're having to take care of to where you fail to take time to be face-to-face with your spouse. You fail to take time to see into them. And you see, I think the language... The language of the Bible is this. The language of the Bible is face-to-face. Let me give you some examples of that. <clears throat> Jacob called the name of the place where God met with him, Peniel, saying, for I have seen God. What? Face-to-face. Exodus says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Corinthians says, we, we see through a dim fog mirror. For it's like looking through a dim fog window is more or less what it's saying. But one day, the time will come that we'll see Jesus face to face. I mean, I can take this like a mirror and I can kind of see things about Jesus and read things about Jesus, but one day I'm going to see him face to face. That's the goal, to see him face to face one day. Not just to know stuff about him, but to look into his eyes. And the Bible gives us marriage as an example of the relationship between a husband and a wife, so it ought to be the goal that we have to look into each other's eyes and to be sure that we, that we have a, a marriage that is face-to-face, not just back-to-back. E stands for this. E stands for enjoyable. Don't anybody have a heart attack? Your marriage is supposed to be enjoyable. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking from your head. Enjoy life. Notice this. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain, and some translations say meaningless life, that he's given you under the sun. The word for vain or meaningless here in the context of how it's used in Ecclesiastes probably could be translated fleeting. In other words, it's passing away. Time is on the move. You know, because you're so busy in life, before you know it, you're a whole lot farther down the road in life than you realized. So he's telling us that we need to take time to enjoy life with our wife or with our husband if you look at it in the other direction. Because life is, is fleeting from us. James even calls it this. James says it's like a vapor. It's there and it's gone. 
Becky and I were riding in the road last night, and she was talking to her sister, and I could tell the conversation had kind of gone to, you know, some birthdays that are coming up, and, you know, I couldn't believe, she couldn't believe her sister, couldn't believe how old she's getting to be, and, and things like that. Well, I've got a birthday this month, and it ticked me off they were talking about that, because I'm listening to them talk, and I thought to myself, in four more years, I'm going to be 60. I'll be 56. Four more years, I'll be 60. I remember when I thought that was ancient. Some of you right now, some of you young people think that's ancient. I cannot believe in four. I've, my oldest daughter is going to be 30 before long. She don't like hearing about it, but one day here before you know, she's got a year or so before that rolls around. And she's, she's grabbing all she can, isn't she? But see, the truth of the matter is, man, it, it flies by. I mean, think about when the holidays come. Honest, this last Christmas, I thought the Christmas before it was like two months ago. Huh? I mean, it's like, boom, you're there again. I mean, like I was talking with my kids, what happened with Jessica? She was this tall, now she's taller than me. She picked me up and carried me around if she wants to. I mean, it, it, it gets dawn before you know it. Bethany, that I always thought of as being my little girl, some stinker come and married her last November. There's nothing. Where in the world does it go to? Oh, I'm just trying to make a point that before you know it, your life's over with. And if you're in a marriage relationship, you need to be taking time to enjoy marriage with your spouse. Now, don't take me wrong. I'm not going to tell you you need to go out and run up the credit cards to the hilt and everything like that. But I do think probably... A husband and wife needs to take time and go out and blow some dough to the glory of God and care for each other and love each other. You need to be having some date nights. You need to be caring for each other. You need to be doing that. Guys, instead of us being tied up with our hobbies, we need to be connected to our wives. Ladies, I understand you want the house to be spotless, but you know what? You can have a better marriage sometime with a little bit of dirtiness here and there and spend some time with your husband. Because we, we need to have enjoyable lives together. N stands for needed. I want to say a lot about that because we already talked about it. God says it's not good you know, for, uh, for man to be alone. And uh, so it's needed. And some of you might say, well, I don't really need anybody. I've got the Lord and you know, I've just had my relationship with the Lord. Well, the thing about it is the Lord that you think is all you need, He told you it's not good to be alone. So you do need to focus on your friendship. You need a friendship with your spouse. You need a friendship with your wife. Wives, you need friendships with your husbands. We, we need to need each other. A husband and a wife need to need each other. And by doing so, that communicates value and worth to the other person. D stands for devoted. For devoted. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Proverbs says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So think about those verses just for a moment. We're to be devoted. We, in other words, when, when your spouse is happy about something, you ought to celebrate with them. You ought to rejoice. It. If they're weeping, you know what you ought to do? You ought to be providing comfort for them. We need to be devoted to each other through 
you know, thick and thin. A friend loves at all times. Don't go pushing that off to something just outside the realm of marriage. Apply that to marriage also. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. We, we need each other. We need to be devoted to each other. Isn't it in the vows that we say for better and worse? I alluded to this last week, but I didn't put the picture up. You may see this more than one time in this series. This hit Facebook. I'm sure it's been around. Some of you may have seen it years ago. I didn't. I saw it on Facebook about a week or so back, and I posted it. Uh, really, I posted it as a picture of Jesus caring for the church because sometimes we're unhealthy. <clears throat> but I want to use it in a different way today. In the picture, there's several pictures there. Is, is Katie Kirkpatrick and her fiancé or her husband, Nick. Katie had terminal cancer. In the first picture, top left corner, you see Nick hanging out on a stretcher beside Katie on a stretcher while she's having chemotherapy. In the next picture, you see the bony back of this bride. And they had to change the size of her dress several times because of the cancer. Eating away at her body. The next picture over, you see them kind of hugged up together and his parents are there kind of being very emotional. It's hard to see in that picture the size we get on the screen because this couple who had been friends since adolescence are getting ready to marry. Bottom left-hand corner, you've got Nick and his friends singing to Katie at the reception. Middle picture on the bottom, you've got her sitting down because of the cancer and the weakness. And she had to keep oxygen on all through the ceremony and at the reception. She had to sit down and rest. And then in the last picture, you just see this very intimate moment of them together. Five days after the wedding, she died of cancer. But I would submit to you, that's a pretty good illustration of being devoted. Through sickness, through problems, through trials. To be devoted to each other, like you see pictured in this couple. You see, life's short. And you need to be devoted to each other and love each other and work on the friendship in your relationship as a husband and wife. One last letter, S, stands for sanctifying. And the way I mean that is, is this. Sanctifying means that marriage shows us our sin a lot of times. In other words, God, God may use your spouse to expose sin in your life. You ever had that happen? Huh? Be honest with me, sit there and look like that. And see, some people will make excuses. Well, I wasn't like this until I got married. Yes, you were. You just didn't have anybody to point it out. And now you're married, living in the same house together, doing life together day in and day out. And all of a sudden, somebody sees your flaws and they begin to expose your flaws. 
And the problem is when that happens, some people want to distance themselves from their, from their wife or from their husband because they don't like being exposed. When what they need to do is repent of whatever it is they're being exposed for. Instead of saying, well, I, I don't like this, so I, I'm going to push my wife away or my husband away. I, I, I'm going to seek a divorce. I, I want another relationship. I don't like the way this one's going. That's not the way we should deal with it. We, to be honest with you, as Christians, guys, we ought to thank God that our wife or our husband is being used of God to expose sin in our lives because that's a blessing for it to happen so we can repent of it and be closer to Jesus. That'd be a good amen spot right there for everybody. Instead of being upset that they do expose us. Now, I'm not trying to arm someone right now to where you go home and you make it your goal to point out the other person's faults. But I am telling you this, all of us have faults, amen? And all of us fall short and all of us from time to time will have sin in our life and it's a blessing from God if you have a spouse that can help you see it so you can repent of it and be closer to Jesus. Instead of trying to come up with some type of excuse for having a divorce and things like that because you don't like what's happening by them pointing out your sin. Have you ever thought about this? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Hmm? Does that change the way you look at it a little bit? There's a lot of times we enter marriage thinking, well, this is just supposed to fulfill me. It's supposed to make me happy in my life. And if it's not making me happy in my life, then I'm just going to opt out. What if that's not the goal of marriage? What if the goal is for God to use your husband or your wife to make you more like Jesus, to make you live a holier life? And the flip side of that is, I honestly believe people who live holy lives can be happy people. Because we're serving Jesus and we're really experiencing fulfillment in life and what our life is supposed to be about. So we ought to be thankful when our sins get exposed by our spouse and not use that as a, as a way out. Proverbs 13, 20 tells us this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'll be the first to tell you, I need the wisdom of my wife a lot of times. And my wife gets some red flags about things that I try and overlook and say, oh, no, that's not really the case. That person's not really like that. And you know what I find out down the road? She was exactly right. <laughs> and maybe I should have listened to her. There were times in Martin Luther's life that his wife would say, I really don't think you need to go somewhere and speak tonight. And he'd find out later it would be revealed to him later had he gone that night, someone was waiting to kill him. So the Holy Spirit was using his wife to help him. And he learned to listen to her. He was prone to bouts, uh, bouts of uh, deep depression sometimes. And he had been away from home once. And, and when he came back home, she knew he had been really depressed. So she met him at the door dressed in black like she was going to a funeral. He said, who died? And she said, well, surely God must have died for the great Martin Luther to be so depressed. And she could snap him out of it. God using the insight and the wisdom of his wife. 
See, we need to be like that for each other. We need to allow the, the other person that we're married to to help speak God's wisdom into our lives. And instead of saying we fell, we've fallen out of love with somebody, we just need to repent. I'm going to close by just kind of covering a couple of excuses we'll have. Sometimes people will say this. They'll say, well, the problem is we just don't love each other anymore. We've fallen out of love. You know what I think really happens there? You don't fall out of love. You fall out of repentance. Because you're told to love each other. Just like a moment ago, we saw how Jesus told the disciples that we're to love one another and so prove that we're his disciples. Well, how about a husband and a wife loving each other in obedience and proving that they're his disciples? Instead of just saying, well, we don't love each other and letting that be an out or some type of excuse, God commands you to love the other person. So instead of using that for excuse, how about repenting of being unloving and start loving the person, start being a friend to the person? The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that we're to love our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, verse number 44. Your spouse isn't your enemy, but if God tells you even to love your enemies, you ought to be able to love your spouse. The Bible tells us that God is love. In 1 John, so if God is love, love doesn't begin with us anyway. It begins with Him, and He can equip us and help us to love each other as we should. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. In other words, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The very first fruit that's mentioned there is love. So instead of me using it as an excuse, I don't love her, I don't love him anymore. Instead of people using that as an excuse out of the relationship, what they need to do is repent and say, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to have this fruit of love in my life, so I'm going to love them, and I'm going to be a friend to them. Sometimes people will use this excuse. Well, I just need to follow my own heart. You don't know how I feel. I need to be true to myself. I need to follow my own heart. Really? Because see, here's what the Bible says about your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I don't need to follow my own heart. Follow my own heart will not fix my marriage. It will not make my marriage be all that it should be. Following your heart will not fix your marriage. It will not make your marriage all that it's supposed to be. I don't need to follow my heart. You don't need to follow your heart. We need to follow His heart. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray right now that you would help us to follow your heart. God, I understand with this number of people here, God, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Becky's not perfect. None of us are. I understand we have struggles and problems in relationships. Lord, I know there's probably a full gamut right now of, of marriage relationships, probably people who are very close and the best of friends and probably some people here that's on the verge of just falling all to pieces. God, I pray you help us to understand that, that marriage is about a a friendship. Lord, that we need that in the relationship. It's not for convenience sake. It's not just so we can, can have kids and a home and things. God, we, we need companionship. We need friendship. But Father, I pray right now that you speak to the hearts of individuals and couples here. 
and help them evaluate and help them make commitments right now. To repent if necessary, whatever it is they need to do, but they would make fresh commitments right now to be friends, to love each other, to make things work. Father, I recognize there's some here today that are not here with their spouse, and it might be that their spouse does not know Jesus. Or it may be there are just some issues, or whatever it might be. But, Father, even as individuals, God, I, I pray you speak to individuals here who are married, if their spouse isn't with them, and help them right now to make a commitment to be a better friend, and help them to pray right now for their spouse, if their spouse isn't a Christian. Help them to pray over maybe some issue that's pulling them apart, and and God, just bring about restoration and healing into that marriage. God, I pray for individuals who are single. Father, I pray you help them not to write this off that we've talked about today, but help them to see that, that a successful marriage starts out with them, first of all, being a friend with you through Jesus, and then secondly, finding somebody else who's a friend with you through Jesus. And then, Father, helping them to build upon that relationship together as they live out their life. Lord, take this time now and just use it to glorify yourself. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All through this series, and, and whenever this happens, I understand there's a tendency for someone to think, well, we came down, we prayed last week, so I don't need to this week. I don't think there's ever a time that a couple has come together at church and knelt together and prayed enough <laughs> or too much. So when the band starts to play in just a moment, I want to challenge you again. If you're here and your spouse is here with you, that you would take them by the hand and come down. I don't care if you did it last week. I don't care if you did it this morning before you left the house. But come down and kneel and pray and say, God, help us to have the best marriage we can have. Help us to be friends and to work on the friendship of marriage. As I prayed a moment ago, if your spouse isn't here, maybe you need to come and pray for them for some reason. Or pray for yourself. Maybe it's you that needs fixed so the relationship can go on. And those of you that are single, be a really good time to come and pray and say, God, help me to be sure I choose wisely. You tell us we need to choose wise friends so we can experience wisdom. We need to wisely choose our spouses also. So why not come and pray that God will help you do that? And if you need Christ as your Savior, I'll be here at the front. I'm going to take my wife's hand. I'm going to kneel with her again and pray with her. But if you need Christ as your Savior, please come. And I'll, I'll be free in just a moment and love to talk to you more about it. We're going to close the service with one baptism that I know of. You could be here and you already know Christ as your Savior and never been baptized. We can get you as dry as possible, even though you're not prepared. If you know Christ and you know God's calling you to do that, then please come and let us know. But especially, again, I want to challenge couples. And if you're not signed up in a small group, please go out in just a moment and sign up and be part of a small group to where you can work on this in a more intimate fashion over these next few weeks. But I want to challenge you right now to please come and pray. And I want to challenge you to start out like this. Since we've talked about intimacy being into me, see, why don't when you first get up here as a couple, take time and look at each other for a minute. 
see in each other's eyes and hearts for a moment and then pray. Please stand. God speak to your heart. I'm not you. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.